Here's how I think about my podcast. I keep a list of questions or topics that I think nonprofit leaders should know more about. And then I track down really interesting folks who are very well suited to answer them. I know you are all very busy, so I try to offer you plenty and then plant a seed with you to encourage you to go deeper. Here's the question I posed for today's podcast. Are there resources out there for nonprofits they may not be taking sufficient advantage of that would help them to have greater impact? And if they aren't, is it because they don't know about the resources or are they too busy or do they not get why the resources might be worth the investment of their time? In asking this question, I didn't think of anybody except my friend Anne Mae Chang. She has been a podcast guest before to talk about her book, Lean Impact. But today, she joins us in her new role as the CEO at Candid. Born in February 2019, when GuideStar and the Foundation Center joined forces. On the About Us page on the Candid website, it says, and I quote, Every year, millions of nonprofits spend trillions of dollars around the world. Candid finds out where that money comes from, where it goes, and why it matters. Through research, collaboration, and training, we connect nonprofits, foundations, and individuals to the resources they need to do good. End quote. Today, we're going to talk about what resources Candid offers and why you should crawl all over them. I've also been thinking a lot about the lack of trust in nonprofits and philanthropy, thanks to a recent independent sector study. And I don't like it. Not one little bit. I'm hoping that Ann Mae Chang, as a thought leader in the sector, can help us kind of break that down for a bit, too. So we've got the candid CEO. We've got a thought leader. You think it's worth 45 minutes or so of your time? I think so. And I hope you agree. Greetings and welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. I'm your host, Joan Gary, founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, where we help smaller nonprofits thrive. I'm also a strategic advisor for executive directors and boards of larger nonprofits. I'm a frequent keynote speaker, a blogger, and an author on all things leadership and management. You can learn more at joangary.com. I think of myself as a woman with a mission to fuel the leadership of the nonprofit sector. My goal with each episode is to dig deep into an issue I know that nonprofit leaders are grappling with by finding just the right person to offer you advice and insights. Today is no exception. My guest today is Anne Mae Chang. She is the CEO of Candid, a nonprofit that provides the most comprehensive data about the social sector. Her resume is long, and you will see a full bio on the show notes. But she is a social innovator and author of Lean Impact, How to Innovate for Radically Greater Social Good. Anne May served as Chief Innovation Officer at the U.S. Agency for International Development and Executive Director of its U.S. Global Development Lab. She was Chief Innovation Officer for Pete for America, as in Buttigieg, and has more than 20 years of experience at Google, Apple, and Intuit. Anne May earned a B.S. in computer science from Stanford University. And here's the truth. Anne May and I go way back, like way back. She served on the board of GLAAD and may, in fact, have been on the board <laughs> that selected a certain nonprofit fundraising virgin to run an organization in financial disarray. 
And May, it is great to have you back on this show. Thank you so much for having me back, Joan. It's so fun to reconnect. And I just love how our lives keep crisscrossing in these new and interesting ways. I totally agree with you. It's every time I turn around, it's like, oh, there's Anne Mae Chang over there. And there she is over there. And so every time you turn up somewhere, you turn up with something really interesting to offer listeners. So super happy to have you back. And let's actually, let's get into it. So you heard the intro. So you know what our charge is. Let's talk about Candid, its resources, and why you think the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, meaning why GuideStar plus Foundation Center equals candid or, to grab a political line, stronger together. <laughs> yes, definitely stronger together. So um, as you mentioned, Candid was formed about three and a half years ago by Merging Foundation Center and GuideStar. And what we took were two organizations, Foundation Center, that had the most comprehensive source of information about foundations, and GuideStar, that had the most comprehensive source of information about nonprofits, and brought them together. And what that does is it gives us unique insight into both sides of that funding equation that's so essential to the nonprofit world. So you know, one way I might I think about it is like LinkedIn. Okay. So LinkedIn connects employers and job seekers, right? Here, you know, we're instead connecting funders and grant seekers and helping them find each other because really that's ultimately how work gets done is that funders need to get money to nonprofits that are doing the work and then good happens. So we can then understand where the money's coming from, where it goes and why it matters. So ultimately, we just believe that with better data, better information, and better transparency, we have the potential to dramatically amplify all the work we do to address social ills around the world. So I just want to make sure that in case there isn't, I think everyone listening knows what GuideStar is. Could you do the, the elevator pitch on GuideStar and the elevator pitch on the Foundation Center just to be safe? Sure. So GuideStar is an online tool that has a comprehensive database of over 2 million nonprofits, pretty much every nonprofit in the U.S. And it allows, um, we have profiles of nonprofits that give us all the information we have about nonprofits that come from uh, data from the IRS's 990s, from data that we gather across the web through real-time information, and also data that nonprofits contribute directly. And so it's a resource that many funders use in order to do research and find nonprofits that are doing work in the areas they're interested in. On the other side of the equation is Foundation Directory, which uh, is used by um, a large, a lot of nonprofits who are look, seeking funding. And there we have information about all the major foundations in the United States, sort of what their giving has been. We, you can go in and look for or, um, foundations that have been funding organizations that are like you and build a prospect list and be able to then identify or um, funding sources that you might want to approach in order to get grants for your organization. So, and one of the things that we're looking at doing just sort of sneak peek going forward is bringing these two classic platforms together under one roof that will just mm. be called Candid. So it'll be a single application where you have information on all sides of the equation that makes it much easier for everyone to be able to see the full picture. That's, that's great. So, 
obviously central to the success of the work that you do is folks sharing their data, right? And getting the, right, the foundations who get their data in and the individual nonprofits. And can you speak a little, is, is, that, a, is that a challenge or do people really understand the incentive behind that? Yeah, absolutely. As I mentioned, we, we get data from three sources. One is official sources like the IRS. The second is real-time data on the web. And the third is what we call contributed data, both from nonprofits and from foundations. And of course, it's, it's always, we're all busy. Like, you know, every everybody has a million things on their to-do list. So it's always hard to get people's attention to share their data. Um, I would say, honestly, it's a little easier to get nonprofits to share their data because there's a real incentive there that nonprofits, when they right. share their data, they claim their GuideStar profile, they can tell their their story and be able to show that they're transparent and open and build trust. And that attracts more funding. And of course, that's something that most nonprofits are looking for is attracting more funding. So it's an easier case to be made there. Um, but certainly there's work we can still do there. On the foundation side, it's a little tougher because um, foundations have less clear incentives to share information. Although despite that, we have most of the major foundations are sharing their information with us through something we call e-reporting. They're sharing the grant information that allows us to be able to help nonprofits identify the foundations that are most relevant for them to approach. So we have this platform today and the ears of many a nonprofit leader. What's important for them to know about these resources? And what do you wish that nonprofit leaders would either do more of or less of as it relates to your resources? Sure. It's a great question. And I never worked at McKinsey, but I've heard that they always say you're supposed to say three things. So I have three (laughs) (laughs) suggestions for nonprofits to to do today. One, complete your GuideStar profile. Two, find promising funding prospects using foundation directory. And three, build you and your team's fundraising skills through candid learning. And I'll just talk a little bit about each of those. Please. So first... First, um, claiming your GuideStar profile. So as I mentioned earlier, GuideStar is the most comprehensive source of data about nonprofits, and it's used by most funders to identify and vet organizations to support. And the good news is that any nonprofit today can go and claim your GuideStar profile and use it to tell your full story and get more visibility. So I think this is particularly valuable for smaller nonprofits because they often don't have the resources to build an elaborate website to promote their work, to do a lot of marketing. And with the GuideStar profile, you have a professional profile in a place that funders are looking that help you tell your story and get yourself in front of funders. So we think it's a it's a great opportunity, particularly for smaller nonprofits. And as you share more data on your profile, what we do is we award seals of transparency to recognize your openness. So we give you a bronze seal for just giving basic contact information, a silver seal for sharing information about your programs, your brand, your logo. That also makes you more visible. A gold seal when you're sharing information about your financials and your leadership. And a platinum seal when you get to sharing the details about your strategy and your goals. And the ultimate intent here is to enable nonprofits to share their data one time. And once they share this data one time on Candid, that data goes far beyond Candid. It's used by most of the major donor advised funds like Fidelity Charitable, as well as multiple um, fundraising platforms like Facebook or Amazon Smile. So this data that you share one time then gets propagated out to many other places that donors are looking to research nonprofits. And my hope is that over time, the Candid 
profile will become the place where funders go first to seek data on nonprofits so that we can reduce the burden that I know everybody experiences of trying to share data and, you know, the complete grant applications in so many different ways and so many different formats that, you know, we often have, you know, full-time staff trying to field all these requests and we could be doing, you know, more important work than that. Um, Excellent. Let's oh. talk about, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Keep going. Oh, I, I was going to also talk about the other two. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, right. You stopped. And I was just going to say, wait, that's just the first one. Pause. <laughs> yes. Sorry. <laughs> so the second one is um, foundation directory. Um, and the reality is I think most organizations don't know that the vast majority of grants, some, like over 90% of grants that are made aren't publicized through RFPs. Um, and so what foundation directory does is it allows you to search over 240,000 grant makers to identify those foundations who might be most relevant for your nonprofit. And so it was designed to help nonprofits identify who's most likely to support their work. So you know who to reach out to, you can develop a relationship with, keep an eye on. And what we've learned is that foundations are most likely to fund a nonprofit if it is made grants to other nonprofits who work on similar issues, who have a similar geographic focus, or are of a similar size. So by searching for those types of grants within Foundation Directory, then you can identify those foundations who have made those grants to similar organizations on similar issues, um, and that can form your prospect list. One thing I wanted to share with your listeners is a special offer that we have where for nonprofits that have a budget of under a million dollars, we're offering a free special offer for free access to Foundation Directory Essential if you go ahead and claim your profile and earn a gold seal of transparency. All you need to do is go to candid.org and click on that third call to action to earn a seal of transparency. And there's information there about how to claim your profile and then that that's one way to help you get more visibility, but on top of that, then get free access to foundation directory where you can then proactively seek out other funders. The third call to action, if you will, uh, um, are free trainings that we offer extensive trainings through webinars, self-paced learning, and in-person classes, most of which are freely available. And these include tutorials on how to effectively use candid tools, such as building your nonprofit profile, earning those seals of transparency, finding funding through Foundation Directory, and also other trainings on broader topics, such as proposal writing, fundraising, and governance. That's awesome. Now, I actually did not know that. So super interesting. And what I want, you know, one of the things I love about this podcast is is that I'm able to bring in people who are in your court, right? That... that sometimes I hear executive directors say, oh, these jobs are so hard and they're so lonely. And when I listen to Ann May Chang talk about the resources that Candid provides, right? She, the reason Candid provides these resources is so you can do more good. 
You can, right? It's Absolutely. that simple. And I really want you to hear that. And I want, I'd love for you to walk away from this podcast today and say, there are so many people in our court who really understand that nonprofits are essential to building a truly civil society. And, and I find listening to you, Anne May, to be inspiring knowing that that's, that's what you do. I'm not sure that everyone knows that you are a nonprofit too. Yes, absolutely. We are a 501c3 ourselves. Uh, you know, our mission is to provide people with the information they need to do good. Um, the end. So, you know, as we as we're making trade-offs, it's all about trying to figure out how we can help you know, the sector as a whole, uh, you know, I, I look around the world and it just seems like the needs and the problems just keep amplifying and keep getting more complicated and keep getting more entrenched. And there's more that we need to do. And so we're trying to equip the, uh, you know, the whole sector, nonprofits, funders, um, uh, and, and those working with them to really have the data information that they need to make better decisions, to, to do more good, to access funding more seamlessly um, so that we can really get ahead of these, these problems. So I'm interested. Talk a little bit about where your funding comes from. So we our, our funding comes from a, a, a number of different sources. Um, the, the sort of high-level breakdown is about 85% of it is earned revenue. So having people who are paying, for, a lot of times companies who are like Facebook and Amazon who are paying for using our products and using our data. Um, and then about 15% through um, a large number of foundations who sort of see us as essential infrastructure for the social sector and provide us with ongoing funding to, to serve that role. Uh, so you are in the same boat with our listeners in that regard. Absolutely. <laughs> we use our own tools. In fact, yeah. <laughs> to be exactly. Exactly. So I want to talk a little bit about, it's a good segue. Your funding conversation is a good segue to what I thought was a really uh, intriguing approach. Candid was the recipient of a grant from Mackenzie Scott. I wanted you to talk a little bit about sort of love hearing about what people do with game-changing dollars. But you also took a really interesting approach to how you messaged the fact that you got a Mackenzie Scott grant. And I, I wanted you to talk a little bit about that, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. I think that Mackenzie Scott and Dan Jewett are great examples of what some have been calling trust-based philanthropy. Right. Um, you know, which is an approach of like really changing the power dynamics between funders and nonprofits. And rather than having nonprofits play the role of supplicant to, you know, try to go out and put out their hat for money, that they've taken on the responsibility of doing the research themselves, identifying the nonprofits that they want to fund and putting very little burden on those nonprofits such as ourselves to receive that money, both in terms of there's a very, you know, I don't think there's an application at all. And there's a very lightweight reporting mechanism. We're asked to submit each year a letter of no more than three pages, no wow. particular format to just let them know what we're doing. Wow. Um, and so we just came up on that, you know, one year mark of receiving our grant um, from McKinsey Scott. Um, and we decided to make that letter public because we wanted to live our values of being transparent and also use it as an opportunity to kind of sh show the impact that this kind of giving can have. And, you know, I want to say up front that Candid has been very privileged to benefit from more resources than many nonprofits. But despite that, 
we share the same challenges of getting restrictive grants that then pull us off mission and make it hard for us to make those long-term investments that I think are really needed for meaningful change. So I see the, their gift as not only significant in terms of dollars, which is what I think everybody focuses on is the big ticket dollars, right. but, but it's actually equally significant in terms of the flexibility that we're given and how we invest those dollars. Because as you know, historically, there's been what I think is a, we all generally agree is a misguided focus on non-programmatic spending, something we've called overhead in the past as being yeah. bad or wasteful. And in contrary, I actually believe that investments in those non-programmatic things like nonprofit infrastructure, innovation, and human capital are exactly what we need to maximize our impact. Otherwise, all we're doing is turning a crank that's getting older and older and older over time. Like we need to make those investments. And these, um, you know, the, this kind of flexible funding, sometimes called general operating support, allows us to do that. So last month we decided to share our you know, annual grant report um, publicly in the spirit of transparency and talked about how we're spending that money. And it's really on three primary things. One was that we gave bonuses to our staff because, you know, they were just exhausted after, you know, all the crosswinds of COVID, of, you know, all the issues that came up around racial justice, um, right. of, of a merger, all sort of converging at the same yeah. time. So we want to give bonuses to our staff to give them a little breathing room. The second thing we did is um, we are making a big investment, you know, I mentioned earlier about bringing together our platforms. We're making a big investment in our technology infrastructure. We have, you know, uh, technology platforms that have been around for a decade or more and need a little updating, um, not only from a platform perspective, but also from a product perspective, because right. after the merger, we have these different tools where you still have to go to multiple places to find all the information. We want to bring them together to create a better experience. But it's really hard right. to like to like make that capital investment. And so this grant is allowing us to do that and create both a better experience for our users, but also a better platform for us to be able to take forward. I and actually I, I actually have to stop you and just say that there are people listening thinking, oh my gosh, how in God's name are you going to do that? When we changed our CRM, I thought it was going to be the <laughs> death of us. Yes, absolutely. So, um, um, okay, so bonuses... Um, tech infrastructure. And what's the third thing? And the third thing is innovation. We're creating an innovation fund to seed those you know, big swings, the big bets that we want to make that we think can be transformative for the sector in the future. And it's like those, that kind of risk-taking that is also really hard to do when you're on restricted grant dollars that you have to like issue a grant report and say exactly what you did and exactly what you delivered. Right, because an innovation fund is actually in corporate America might be the you know the research the R and D group right that doesn't actually that doesn't have a short term payoff. It has a longer term payoff, right? Exactly, and 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 what's what's interesting is in the private sector, if you look at a company's financials and they're not investing very much in R and D, you short their stock. Because right. they're going downhill. But for some reason, it's the opposite when it comes to nonprofits. We're somehow looking for nonprofits that aren't investing a lot in R&D or overhead, right? So right. we think that's backwards. It, it's totally backwards. I mean, what's interesting is that when I was at MTV, so I had a role in new business development, coming up with innovative ideas for ways MTV could generate money. I foisted MTV t-shirts and sweatshirts on 
millions of Americans as a result, right? And then I did, I, I had a strategic planning role as well, right? That's, a, that's an investment that the private sector makes because they understand that you need to be looking around the corners. You need to be thinking about what the trends are so that you can stay ahead of them and know what your consumer needs and when they need it. So it just galls me that these things are seen as bad, right? The other, if I can just stay on what else galls me, and I bet it galls you too, is to think that communications and social media is not programmatic is so freaking short-sighted. Because what gives an organization power, M.A.? People do. And if you don't reach a lot of people, you have no power, right? Back in the glad days in the early 80s, it was about how many people were going to write a letter, <laughs> write a letter or make a phone call on their landline to someone, to, to some newspaper to complain about a homophobic article or something, right? People is power. And if you don't have a communications engine that can really drive people to your organization, you're not going to have power. And our funding, and our funding strategy today doesn't value that. Yeah. And at the end of the day, what, what I think is true is that we need to trust nonprofits to make the best decision. I don't care if we call it programmatic or not. It shouldn't matter. What I care about is that we trust the people at the front lines who really understand what's going on, what they need, where the opportunities are to make the best choices. And if they don't make good choices, we can fund someone else. But in the meantime, let's you know write the check and let empower the, the organizations to, to invest it as they see fit. Right. Or, or don't, don't, don't worry about my how. Ask me, am I reaching more people today? Right. Am I reaching more people today than I did a year ago? Yeah. Right. Right. Do I have a bigger footprint? Right. Those are the things that, that among many other things that really matter. And how I get there, leave that to me. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I, I just want to say the fact that you were open and honest about giving your staff bonuses, I, I find myself wondering if you got any, I hope you got no backlash whatsoever about that, but I wonder. Um, I have not heard of backlash yet, but I'm sure there's backlash to everything these days. So I'm <laughs> sure there was some somewhere. <laughs> So when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about this innovation fund and where you're headed. So we, we will be back. The Nonprofit Leadership Lab is led by Joan Gary and is the world's best online community for leaders of small nonprofits. Learn how to raise more money, build the board of your dreams, grow a large audience of supporters, and so much more. To learn more and request an invitation to become a member, please go to nonprofitleadershiplab.com slash podcast. That's nonprofitleadershiplab.com slash podcast. So we're back and we're having a conversation with Ann Mei Chang. And Ann Mei Chang is the CEO of Candid. And it is a nonprofit that provides the most comprehensive data about the social sector. Anne May is a social innovator and author of Lean Impact, How to Innovate for Radically Greater Social Good. Long CV, impressive CV on the show notes. But 
Did you hear me use the word innovate a couple of times there? Yes, I did. So that's where I want to come back to uh, the rest of this conversation here is, what does innovation look like for Candid? What do you see as, you know, what's in the R&D pipeline? How are you thinking about the needs of nonprofit leaders and how you can best meet them through this innovation fund? Sure. Yeah. So as I mentioned, one of the things we have invested in as part of the McKinsey Scott grant is what we're calling the Candid Innovation Fund. And the idea here is simple. It's to invest in bold new ideas that come from our staff for major new products, features, services, and markets, or anything else they come up with. And the goal here is that we want to encourage the big swings and the smart risk-taking that we think are needed in order for us to deliver on our mission. And I think this is true for almost every nonprofit, that in order for us to truly fulfill our missions, we're going to need to take some risks. We're going to need to take some big swings. And unfortunately, the only way we're often given to do this is that we got to come up with an idea and then write a grant proposal, hope someone funds it, and make a sort of place our a few big bets on some ideas. And we know from the history of innovation that that never works, right? Because it's really hard even for the smartest people to know what's going to work in advance because there's so many variables at play. And if it always works, it's probably not a big enough swing. So rather than trying to pick winners up front and saying, okay, we're going to invest $5 million on this thing that we hope will work, we're trying to place a lot of small bets. Mm, That's um, so smart. And experiment. Yeah, little bits, right? Um, so collect lots of great ideas from staff, be able to you know, color outside the lines a little bit, take a m- bit more risk, and then experiment to learn what works and doesn't work. And then consider larger investments for those ideas that really demonstrate the biggest potential for impact. And so taking risks and allowing for failure, I think is at the essence of innovation. And it's fundamentally hard for nonprofits to do this because we're all working under tight budgets, restrictive funding, and a lot of incentives to play it safe. I mean, when's the last time you heard a nonprofit talking about their failure? It's really hard because of the pressures we're under to put on a good face, say everything's great, because that's what we are asked to do to attract funding. But really, I think it's at our detriment in the long run because for the magnitude of problems we're trying to solve, we, we are going to need better solutions, and that comes from taking risks and, and innovating. So I was at a really interesting place called the Chautauqua Institute this past weekend, which is a, a kind of a bit like Aspen, and it's in upstate New York, and it's a really beautiful, beautiful place just south of Buffalo. And it may be, as I was, I was talking as an advocate for the nonprofit sector and really encouraging people to be advocates, and I don't remember what the bridge was, but I started to talk about risk aversion. And I started to talk about that I often see the root cause of that being at the board level, that boards see themselves they see that quote-unquote oversight role as I'm going to just provide a little oversight to make sure nothing goes wrong, which is actually antithetical to let's try something new, and if it doesn't work, we will learn from it and fail forward. And I wonder, did you manage to get all of the non-risk-averse board members over at your house? (laughs) 
I don't know. I'm lucky to have a fantastic board that sort of comes from philanthropic world, the nonprofit world, and the corporate world. Um, and so, you know, they've they've embraced this idea of innovation. I think that you know, Canada is a little bit of a different type of nonprofit um, because we're you know a, a tech driven platform. We do have a fair bit of earned revenue. It gives us a little bit more flexibility to look at how we believe we should invest. I, in my experience, I've actually found that risk aversion certainly comes from the board, but even more, I think it comes from funders. Yes. Um, that, that um, you know, I've worked with numerous nonprofits over the years. And what I found is that the reluctance to take a risk, often I trace back to funders because, you know, either you have a restricted grant from a funder and you have specific things you need to deliver on. And the funders are essentially micromanaging the nonprofits in those restricted grants because you're deciding up front, you know, where you're going to spend every dollar, what you're going to do each day for like years in advance. And so it doesn't give you a lot of flexibility or ability to innovate. And funders, I think, often are, you know, looked down on failure. And so therefore, you know, everyone's trying to paper over things. You know, one, one of the things that was a sad, one of the saddest stories I heard um, more than once during the time when I was doing research for my book was that a few nonprofits admitted to me sort of under cone of silence that they received a restricted grant from a, from a funder. They started implementing the grant, discovered that whatever they were doing didn't work wasn't helping, wasn't making a difference, but they just kept doing it anyway, because it was too painful to go back to the funder and admit that it didn't work. Now, like, that's just so awful that we've set up a sector that causes people to feel like that's their best choice. Tell me what you think about the impact the pandemic had on the culture of the nonprofit sector, right? If we were risk averse before, right? If we didn't you know, value innovation. You know, you saw as many examples as I did of nonprofit organizations that tried new things. I think about my friend Ellen LaPointe at Fenway Health. They'd been thinking about doing telehealth, right? And they said maybe it's going to take nine months or a year. And they did it in like two or three weeks. And I, yes. and, I uh, and I, and I, I wonder. I saw so much cause for optimism, like what challenging times make possible, Absolutely. right? And what what's your, what's your take on it? Do you do you think it's going to stick? I think the jury's still out, but I think there's an opening. So you know, there's that phrase that crisis breeds opportunity. You know what we saw at the beginning of the pandemic. Like I had, uh, I talked to a number of nonprofits who have been talking about offering, you know, putting together some sort of virtual offering for months or years. But they, you know, were batting around ideas, writing up specs, like debating what to do, is it worth doing or whatever. And then the pandemic hit. Right. And all of a sudden, like everybody tried something. Maybe it wasn't perfect, but it was out there. And then they started learning so much faster and figuring out where, you know, virtual offerings worked well, some places where it didn't work well, but they started learning. And I think I've heard a lot of organizations are keeping those offerings, yes. you know, not exclusively, but keeping at least some elements of those offerings going forward. And I think it took the pandemic for them to like really take the risk to try because what they were doing before clearly stopped working because you couldn't get, you know, together with people anymore. Yeah. On the other side, um, I 
I, you know, I think the, the same thing was true. There was a wake up call for foundations. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with that pledge that was sent around that I think now over 800 foundations have signed to pledge to make their funding more flexible during the pandemic and in response to that, because, you know, holding people to those budgets and those activities just no longer made any sense at all. So now we've had this like microcosm of an experiment we where have. on one hand, funders made money more flexible. On the other hand, nonprofits, you know, took more risks. And, you know, the, the big question is whether that's going to stick. I, I know that some of it has stuck. The question is how much. And, and, you know, one of the things we're working towards is to encourage more and more of it to stick, because I think we've learned a lot from this that that's been very positive. I believe that there's an obligation to market. Go back to boards and funders, right? And making sure, I've talked with so many clients, you need to market all of the innovation and the piloting that you did during the pandemic as piloting and innovation as opposed to crisis management. Because if you reframe it as piloting and innovation, then then you're going to end up with a board that's going to say, we you know, we should do more of that as opposed to, boy, I sure don't want to be in a crisis like that again, right? There's so much is about how it's framed. And I do think that executive directors of nonprofits have such an opportunity to reframe it and are part, are going to be part of the antidote. Like, does it stick or does it not stick? It just isn't going to magically do one or the other. We're going to actually have to market it for having it stick. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. But I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful because yeah. I think now we have examples to point to, right? It's not like we've never done this before. Should we do it? It's like, look, it worked then. Maybe let's try it again. Like, and we, we, we've shown we can do it, right? So I'm, I'm hopeful, but I don't think it will happen in, in and of itself. I think we're going to have to really consciously kind of avoid falling back into the old ruts again. So it weaves us nicely into the last topic I want to cover here, and we've been talking around it, but I want to talk a little bit, and I know that you're on the board of the independent sector. Their recent report, is un- it's unsettling. It's, un- it's unsettling, and, I- and it's about trust, right? And we talked a little bit about sort of what is at the heart of Mackenzie Scott's giving and these 800 foundations is just trust the people who know their sector to make good choices, right? Talk a little bit about, and now now I'm going to take off your candid hat, put on your sector leader hat and your board hat of the indep- board member hat as the independent sector board. Talk a little bit about what you're learning about this whole issue of trust in the sector and then sort of this, and then we maybe tie it back into trust-based philanthropy. Sure. So the, this report that you mentioned from independent sector, it was the trust in civil society report. And what they found is that Trust has been eroding not only across for, for the nonprofit sector, but across all our sectors. You know, there's eroding trust in government, eroding trust in corporations. I think trust is just on a decline around the world. In fact, the, the National Intelligence Council in their latest Global Trends Report identified one of the five major trends facing us in the future as something they call disequilibrium, huh. um, and that's that's a term that they use to to describe this 
disconnect between the institutions that we have today across all the sectors that were formed in a very different day and age and the kinds of problems we're facing today, the pace of technology change, the complexity of problems, the polarization we're seeing today. And this equilibrium just describes the sort of mismatch between our institutions and the, that were built for a different day and age and the problems that we face today. Right. Um, and so I think this is an issue not only for the nonprofit sector, but across the world for all our institutions. Um, but for the nonprofit sector, this erosion of trust really has a direct impact on our bottom lines and that that impacts the people that we serve, right? I'm also um, a member of the Generosity Commission and they commissioned a study um, or, uh, you know, one of the reasons it was formed was there was research that showed that between uh, the year 2000 and 2016, the number of household giving, the number of households that gave philanthropically declined from about two thirds of households were giving in the year 2000 and under 50% were giving in the year 2016. Wow. That's a significant decline of like, you know, 16% or 17% or so of, of fewer households that are giving. Given all the compounding crises we're seeing around the world, like the social sector is more needed than ever. And right. so this erosion of trust in the nonprofit sector is directly impacting our bottom lines and directly impacting the, you know, the cohesion of civil society. And so I, I think we really need to think about not only each individual organization, but how do we build the public's trust back? Mm -hmm. And one of the things I found was really interesting in the report. I was like, oh God, this is like, this is a huge issue, right? That this erosion of trust, what can we do about it? Yeah. Um, and so one of the things that came out of the report is they looked at what they called neutral trusters. And so these are people that are neither have strong trust in the social sector, nor do they have strong distrust. Right. There's the, sort of the swing voters, swing middle. if you will. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> the, the swing voters of the social sector and ask them, like, what did what did they need in order to create more trust? And the things they said was were more information, yeah. greater transparency and demonstrable results. Now, this might sound like an ad for Candid, but this is like what this completely other independent report found, which is that people want more information, greater transparency, and demonstrable results. And in short, I, it is that real data builds real trust. Right. Um, and this is, you know, this is a lot of what Candid is trying to do. That between GuideStar and Foundation Directory, we have platforms that offer an easy and visible way to do all of these things. Right, that with your GuideStar profile, nonprofits can share that more information that people are looking for. You know, being able to provide details about programs, about results, about the organization's demographics, and be able to tell their own story so they can be found. Just to give you an example, um, there, there's a organization called the Paralyzed Veterans of America. Okay. Um, and it's a nonprofit that claimed its profile and provided enough data to earn their platinum seal of transparency. And now what they do is they include their platinum seal on every donor communication they put out because they believe that it, it's one way they can validate their legitimacy um, and helps them in fundraising because they're saying like, we're, we're like, you know, showing you all the data about, you know, what we're doing what right. our results are, what's ha what our organization looks like. And that's that's something people really look for to, to create more trust. I agree with you completely. And I also think that when I was reading some of the report, it, it, it makes me realize 
how much distrust there is in institutions writ large, right? Yeah. And and it also makes me think a lot about Gen Z. It makes me think about Gen Z folks for whom institutions have largely failed them. Yep. And so I actually, I'll take this whole conversation full circle and say that I think not only do we need to innovate in our institutions, we may actually need to innovate what it means to be an institution, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, how many, how many of you are listening now who have young staff members who have an expectation to have real agency in many decisions, right? That there is a... I think that there's just a call to action to the nonprofit sector to look at how we organize, right? And that that there may be different kinds of ways to think about being institutions that actually garner greater trust because of a greater degree of participation. I often think that a really good organization should be some kind of movement, right? And that means something different from institution. I think that there is a way, that's a sort of a bold innovation, I guess, but I just also thinks, I think that we have a, we have an issue about institutions and many nonprofits fall into that category and that we actually really need to be thinking about that too. Reflections on that, Amy? Yeah, I mean, I think I would go so far as to say, I think it's an existential challenge for right. nonprofits, right? That that um, as it, trusty roads, people are looking for other avenues. Um, we all saw that with the war in Ukraine, a lot of people decided to, instead of giving to nonprofits who would do the work to, you know, address humanitarian issues there, people were like booking empty Airbnbs to right. try to get money to people directly. And that's great. I love that ingenuity. Yep. But it, there's also a downside there. There's no accountability to that. There's no, like, you know, sort of, uh, you know, the, the, there's value to the institutions, right? Because the institutions build in the accountability, the transparency, the things that make it, a, you know, kind of more trustworthy to society. But the fact that people are doing that to work around our institutions should be a real wake-up call for us because we need to evolve so that people trust nonprofits to give the money that way in a way that is much more traceable, that is much more accountable um, and transparent. I love that. And I think that's just an excellent place to leave it here. I hope that what you heard today was a lot about innovation, a lot about trust, a lot about data, right? There's no question when you read Anne May's full CV that that she was sort of custom made for this gig at Candid. And um, so I wanted to thank you for the work that you're doing. I, I hear a kind of excitement and energy in your voice that makes me really hopeful about the future work that you're doing. And I look forward to hearing about the both the small pilots and the big bets. Thank you so much for having me back on, Joan. It's a delight to see you as always. And, you know, keep doing the great work you're doing also. I mean, I think we all need to do everything we can to help the sector be better because there's so much work to be done. 
Uh, Amen to that. And with that, I will say thank you for listening today. Thank you for the work that you do. Thanks for taking time out to listen to us. And we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for spending time with me today. I hope you found the conversation valuable as you navigate the messy world of nonprofits. Check out all my other resources at joangary.com. Hope you find them helpful too. Lastly, thank you for the work you do to repair the world in ways large and small. I'll see you next time.